You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning to all of our Calvary at home locations or wherever you might be watching. What an incredible morning. Wasn't worship amazing this morning? Uh, Man, I so enjoyed that. Before we jump into God's Word, I want to take a moment and just pause. And uh, for many of you, you're you're at home location and uh, maybe things are a little crazy or you're, you know, digging down on some nachos or something. Uh, I want you guys to put everything aside and just take a moment wherever you are. And uh, I just want to pray that God would just center us today, that God would just focus us today, because I believe God has something special in store for us. So wherever you are, if you're sitting at, at an at-home location, maybe you're sitting in your break room at work or uh, in your car or wherever it might be, I just want you to pause for a moment. If you're driving, don't close your eyes. But if you aren't, uh, I want you to close your eyes and just put your hands out in front of you. Lord, I pray this morning, wherever we are, Lord, as we're uh, scattered all over this area in this region, worshiping together, Lord. I pray that you would speak to us. Lord, I pray that these next few moments are moments that change us, challenge us, transform us. And God, help us understand the calling to change our world. I thank you for what you're going to do. I thank you for what you're doing in our church, even during this season. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, 20 years ago this month, I graduated from high school. For some of you, uh, you're thinking, wow, he's really young. For others of you, you're thinking he is ancient. Um, I feel ancient. But uh, as I've uh, thought through this month, just graduating high school, one of the things I've reflected on were some of my favorite teachers. Uh, For those of you at a Calvary at Home location, later you're going to get to talk about who your favorite teachers were. But if you're on Facebook, I want you right now just to post in the comments, who is your favorite teacher in school? Maybe elementary school, middle school, high school. Um, Two of my favorite teachers, they were two, not one, because they were a uh, husband and wife, were Mr. and Mrs. Werner. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Werner uh, taught English. Mr. Werner taught English, and Mrs. Werner taught more uh, literature research courses at Derry High School, where I attended. And uh, they had this incredible passion that they brought to teaching. Uh, I, what I loved about both of them is they had this unique way of getting the best out of their students and getting you excited. You know, Mr. Werner taught English, and I never really loved or enjoyed English class until I had Mr. Werner. And Mr. Werner had such passion for English that he brought it out of us. He got us excited about it too. And, and I would venture to guess, if we were to sit down and talk about some of your favorite teachers growing up, we would find some, some similar traits You would find these teachers that just inspire us, teachers that challenge us, teachers that somehow pull the best out of us. And and I don't know if you've ever thought about this, like why do the great teachers do that? Why are the great teachers good at that? Is it it, uh, something that they're just doing for a paycheck or for recognition? Is it an obligation for their job? And I, I would venture to guess it's probably none of those things. I believe it's because they have this unique ability to see the potential in people that no one else does. They, they have this uh, uh, part of them, there's wiring that drives them to push us to be better. In fact, these are actually the best people to have in life in general, whether it be in school or not. People that pull the best out of us, that challenge us, they see something in us. Uh, regardless of what others say, they push us to be better. One of the people in my life that did this was my father. 
I remember a conversation I had with my father my freshman year of high school. We were just pulling into our church parking lot in La Trobe, and my dad was uh, sharing with me that the church was thinking of buying a bus from another church, uh, which I later found out was actually Calvary Church in Irwin, which is kind of, kind of neat. And my dad was telling me about one of his first things he did as he stepped into ministry is he led a bus ministry and all that that entailed. And he was sharing just what an exciting thing it was. And, and then he turned to me and he said, Nick, would you be interested in starting a bus ministry here at our church in La Trobe? And as crazy of an idea as it was, the more I thought about it and prayed about it, I felt like this is something I should do. So, so I did it. That year was really the first time for me stepping into ministry leadership. I taught Sunday school for first and second graders. I started this bus ministry and led it, I, which means I helped coordinate bus drivers and bus captains, and, and I led our puppet outreach team. Yes, puppets. I loved doing puppets. They were the best thing ever. Um, maybe, maybe someday you'll get to see those puppets in action, but uh, none of that None of that experience of that year and all that I got to, to do, and not just that year, but really throughout my years in high school, all of that was possible because my dad saw something in me. My dad gave me a chance. He didn't give up on me. He gave me the opportunity. Now, this month, we're looking at the transformational things that we see present in this church in the first century, the church in Antioch. And, and the things that we see present in this church really set them apart. And I believe for us as a church in 2020 are important for us still to this day and set us apart. One of the big things that was present in the church in Antioch from its inception is this culture of belief in others. Believing in others, not giving up on them and challenging them to be better, to step into what God created them to be. Just listen to this account uh, that's recorded in, in Acts chapter 11. Starts in verse 19. Here's what took place. It says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Now, I want to pause there for a second. There's a lot packed into that, that one verse there. So Stephen, who is one of the deacons, was stoned to death. The man that oversaw or facilitated that, that killing, that stoning, was a guy by the name of Saul, okay? So Christians scattered, and it says they were scattering all these places, but they were speaking only to Jews. They were sharing the gospel of Jesus only to those who were Jewish. Verse 30, or verse 20, to some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch, this is the church we're talking about, Antioch, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. If you were with us last week, we talked about this idea that Antioch was a very diverse, cosmopolitan city, and even from its inception, they're, they're now stepping out of the, the normal realm, not just sharing with Jews, but also Greeks. And it goes on, the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. God was blessing it. In verse 22, it says, news of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Now, what's taking place here is the leadership, really, of the church globally was kind of centered at this point around Jerusalem. The, the leaders in Jerusalem hear, man, God's doing great things in Antioch, so they send reinforcements. They send one of their top leaders, Barnabas. 
Barnabas comes, and he's seeing God do remarkable things. People are coming to faith in Jesus. Uh, amazing things are happening. He recognizes, hey, I don't want to be the lid for this. I need help. So he goes and finds someone that was incredibly unlikely. Here's what it says. The next verse, verse 25. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Now, understand the beginning of this chapter. He's talking about Stephen. He was stoned and people scattered. That was facilitated by the same guy, Saul. Now Barnabas is going to seek out this, that, that guy, Saul. And, and it says he goes to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Now, I love this story because there's so much packed into these few verses that I want to just kind of talk about here, just unpack here real quick. Uh, What's amazing here is uh, not only would Barnabas give Saul, or, or as he's later known, Paul, a chance, but the church in Antioch would be some of the first people to see the full potential of this guy that would change the world, this guy named Paul, who would eventually plant churches and write most of the New Testament. On top of that, this group of Jesus followers would be the first ones known as Christians. And Christian, that ending of Christian, I-A-N, literally means belonging to the party of. In other words, the believers, or they were known as members of the way at that time, this was the first place that they would be associated with Christ. They would be known as those belonging to Christ. What a remarkable thing. And, and, and to, to understand the full weight of, of this whole story of Barnabas seeing God do great things in Antioch and then going to Tarsus to, to bring Saul, to understand all of that, you have to understand who Saul was. How big of a deal it was that Barnabas would seek him out and bring him to Antioch. As I mentioned, he was responsible for the death of Stephen, one of the deacons, one of the leaders of the church. Saul had essentially been a bounty hunter for the Jewish leaders in the first part of the first century. He, he would often be given orders and sent all over the Roman Empire to find these members of the way, these followers of Jesus, to, 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 to imprison them, to possibly even have them killed. He was the last person you wanted to see on your doorstep if you were a Christian at that time. But following this radical encounter with Jesus, Paul's life is transformed 180 degrees. As a side note, this is an incredible example of why we should never give up praying for someone. Maybe there's someone in your life that you've prayed for that they would come to Jesus, that they would commit their lives to Christ to see that change and that turnaround. Don't ever give up praying for them. Paul is an example that God can do impossible things. No one is without hope. No one is too far gone. Now, as you can imagine, Christians at this time had very little trust in this transformation that Paul claimed to have. They, they, they didn't believe it. They were like, this is kind of convenient. Like, if, if, if Paul's claiming to be a Christian now and he kind of infiltrates our ranks, he could have us all arrested or worse. And, and so they kept their distance. And we see this very fact in Acts chapter 9, right after Paul had that encounter with Jesus. Here's what it said in verse 26. When he, speaking of Paul or Saul, came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. They're like, whoa, we don't want to get too close because this guy has been scary. He's the last person. He was responsible for killing one of our leaders, Stephen. Verse 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. 
He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. What I love about this story is Barnabas' true colors shine through here. Barnabas was cut from a very different cloth than most people. He was willing in this moment to, to put his neck on the line for Paul. He saw something in Paul that no one else did. Barnabas wasn't concerned about building his own reputation or his influence, but rather he used the influence he had to help propel Paul forward. This is something that I was so blessed to have my dad in my life do. My dad embodied this idea, and he didn't just do it for me. I watched over and over again over my life as he would bring in youth pastors and associate pastors that maybe didn't have it all together, didn't have it all worked out, that maybe others wouldn't have given a chance to. And he would bring them in to his church, onto his staff and his team. And he would believe in them, inspire them, challenge them, and watch them become remarkable leaders. This is such an important, important quality. You see, this is something that is key to a culture at a church that is geared toward developing people. There has to be an unwavering belief in people and a willingness to put ego aside. Maybe you've heard this saying before, that history repeats itself. We've watched this ring true too many times in our world, over and over again, as history repeats itself. Now, here's why history repeats itself so often. It's because we don't have enough Barnabases in our world. What Barnabas did was he recognized that his ceiling was the next generation's floor. He, he wanted to make sure Paul exceeded anything that he would accomplish in his lifetime. And Paul did. Paul would do far greater things than Barnabas did. I feel so blessed to get to follow in my father's footsteps as a pastor. And my dad throughout, his, throughout my entire life has made it a point to make sure that his ceiling would be my floor. Today I pastor a church larger than any church my dad ever pastored. It's not because I'm a better pastor or leader. It's because my dad set me up. He allowed his ceiling to ultimately be my floor. This is what we're called to be as a church. We're called to believe in the next generation. We're called to set others up. But this is what we are called as individuals to do in our world as followers of Jesus. And here's a simple idea that I want to share with you today. When our ceiling becomes their floor... The next generation will accomplish so much more. We, we get into this battle so often about the next generations coming behind us. Like which one's better? Which one's greater? Is this generation better than that generation? Uh, uh, will we ever match the greatest generation? Who, which one? Uh, what's the faults of this one? But here's the deal. Each generation should exceed the previous one. If, if we're allowing our ceiling to be their floor, each generation should far exceed when life is built around what we can accomplish and how we can succeed, everything begins to revolve around us. But the way of Jesus is entirely different. It isn't about what you and I can do, but how we can set others up to step into their potential, their God-given potential. You see, what we're doing right now, church, whether it be virtual or in person, whether you're in at-home location or watching by yourself, all of this isn't about you and it's not about me. It's about how we can set others up. That's what we're called to do as followers of Jesus. There's a reality show on NBC 
called America's Got Talent. Uh, it's very similar to most of the talent searching or talent show uh, uh, shows on TV where there's a group of judges, a panel of judges, and they vote on different performers. And, and if they all agree, they go on to the next round. And uh, there's one difference, though, in America's Got Talent. There's something called the golden buzzer. Now, the golden buzzer, each judge is given one chance to hit the golden buzzer each season, for the entire season. And when they hit that golden buzzer, regardless of what the other judges vote or decide, that contestant moves on to the next round automatically. Since they only have one, the judges use it very sparingly. It's a, it's a very special thing to, get, to hit a golden buzzer. In season 11 of America's Got Talent, there was a young 12-year-old girl that came onto the show. Her name was Grace Vanderwall. She sang an original song that she wrote called I Don't Know My Name. Uh, I wanted to show you the video, but because of copyright issues, we can't. So if you're at your at-home location or wherever you might be, just search Grace Vanderwall, America's Got Talent, later on YouTube, and you can, you can watch it. Uh, I cry almost every time I watch it. It's such a moving video. So, so this young girl comes onto the stage. She sings this song that she wrote. The place goes wild. They, they ask her what, what her name is and about her life, and she mentions that her classmates at school don't even know that she sings. One of the judges, Howie Mandel, stands up, and he says, You're, you, you said your classmates don't know your name. I want you to know that that soon everybody is going to know your name. And he hits the golden buzzer. And the place goes crazy. Her parents are crying. She's excited. It's this like moving emotional moment as Howie Mandel hits that golden buzzer. And I tell you that story because this is what we are called to do and to be. We are called to develop people, to believe in people. We are called to hit the golden buzzer for people. To use our influence, our privilege, our accomplishment, not for our own well-being, but to help others be launched forward into their God-given potential. When our ceiling becomes their floor, the next generation will accomplish so much more. The generations that follow us should far exceed anything that we do. We shouldn't force them to reinvent the wheel. We need to allow the ceiling of what we could do to be their starting point. It's time we shift our perspective. It's not about what we can get out of it. It's not about what we can accomplish or what we can achieve. It's ultimately about how we can set others up. I I am a walking testament of that very idea. My father's ceiling has been my floor. And I want to make sure for my children, for Zach and Evie, for Luke, that they experience that, that my ceiling becomes their floor. But more than that, that our staff, Pastor Jason and Pastor Dave and so many of our leaders, that I can help set them up, that they would far exceed anything I will accomplish in my lifetime. Because here's the deal, it's not about ego. It's not about what I can do. It's about what I can set in motion in others. This is a true statement. This is true of followers of Jesus. This is what we're called to be as followers of Jesus. This is what Jesus did. Remember what he said to his disciples? This is the son of God, God in the flesh, the one who did the miraculous, who rose again after being dead for three. Like this is that Jesus. He said to his disciples, one day guys, you will do even greater things than these. Imagine being one of those disciples sitting there listening to Jesus like, Peter, did you hear what he just said? That we will do even greater things? Is he kidding? What in the world? 
Why? Because Jesus understood his ceiling would be their floor. This is what we're called to do. Now, now, this is why we follow Jesus. This is, this is what I believe defines us as followers of Jesus. Not, not how many books of the Bible you read, not how many church services you've attended, but how many people you've launched into their God-given potential. We've, we've defined following Jesus by all the wrong things. You know, by saying the right things, by, by doing all of the right things, and not that any of those things are bad. But the true testament, the true mark of a follower of Jesus isn't how much you know, it's how much you set in motion. And here's my question for you today. Are you living a life where your ceiling is someone else's floor? As the band comes back up, will, will those coming behind you be launched into their potential? I want you to listen to this question. I'm going to say this real clearly because I think this is an important question. And it might step on some toes. But will, will those coming behind you be launched in their potential? Or will they have to climb over your ego to get there? Those around you, are you willing to allow your ceiling to be their floor? Because when our ceiling becomes their floor, the next generation will accomplish so much more than we ever will. And practically speaking, here's what I want to ask you. Are there people in your life that you could believe in? Some of you, you've spent a lot of time in the last few weeks or months talking about how these new kids, these young kids, this next generation coming up, have no idea what they're talking about and maybe how frustrating they are to you and the things that they do and the things that they say and it's irritating to you. Can I ask you a question? Will you take time to invest in them? Don't just complain about them. Don't just put them down, but take time to invest in them. We live in a generation that is the most fatherless generation in American history. They need you to invest in them, to believe in them, to allow your ceiling to be their floor. Maybe it's in your workplace. There's a new kid or a new person that's walked into that workplace. This is their first time in this career or this job or this company and and they're trying to figure it all out. And it's not your job. It's not in your title. You're not told to, to, to help them. Why don't you take them under your wing like Barnabas did? Help them learn the ropes. Help them avoid your mistakes. Not because someone asked you to, not because you're mandated to, not because it's part of your quote-unquote job title or your job description, but because you're a follower of Jesus. That's what we do. That's what we are called to do. That's what defines us as followers of Jesus. Maybe in your neighborhood, there's a, there's a new young couple that just moved in just had their first child and you've had a number of children maybe if you feel safe and comfortable you can invite them over for dinner and get to know them a little bit and help them navigate the craziness of being first-time parents we aren't called to to build the world around ourselves it's not about what we can get out of it it's about what we can give what we can invest what we can set in motion when your ceiling is their floor the next generation will accomplish so much more. God hasn't called us to become consumers of this world that we can consume as much as we can. He's called us to be investors, that we can invest in others. Here's what I love about Barnabas, the story of Barnabas. You know, as the book of Acts progresses, you don't hear about Barnabas anymore. In fact, Barnabas' name disappears from the pages of Scripture. 
You know, you hear a lot about Paul over and over. Most, 90% of the rest of the New Testament from this point on is about Paul. Isn't that amazing? Barnabas was willing to put his neck on the line, his influence, all that he had accomplished for this, this guy named Paul that others wouldn't even give a chance to. That's what we're called to do, to propel them forward. Barnabas did that. My dad did that for me, and I'm so grateful. It's our time to do that for someone else. As we pray this morning, here's what I want to pray. I want to pray that God would give you the eyes of Barnabas to see those in your life that maybe irk you, maybe irritate you, maybe drive you crazy. But God is calling you to bring them under your wing, to show them the way, to believe in them when others have given up on them, to be the one that launches them forward into their God-given potential, that you can allow your ceiling to be their floor and they will accomplish far more than you could have ever imagined was possible. Let's pray this morning. Lord, I thank you for this day. God, I thank you that you don't give up on us. God, that you have constantly pushed us, challenged us. God, I pray you would help us to view others as you've you've viewed us. Lord, not through the lens of what makes sense or through the lens, Lord, of what's best for us, but Lord, through the lens of what's best for them, that you shaped them and formed them. You wonderfully made them and that you have a purpose for others. God, help us to not be those that stand in the way, those that create barriers and walls, but Lord, let us be those that launch people into their God-given potential. God, let the next generation that comes behind us, God, accomplish so much more than us. God, reach more people than us. Lord, give more to missions than us. Make a greater impact than us. Let it not be about us, but Lord, let us propel others forward, I pray. Thank you, God, for the privilege of being a launching point for people. Thank you for letting us be, have the privilege, Lord, of believing in others that others have given up on. But thank you for giving us that influence and opportunity. God, let us use it wisely. Let us be good stewards of that influence. Give us the courage. Give us the eyes of Barnabas, Lord, to see those you're calling us to propel forward. Give us timely conversations and relationships in our workplace, in our neighborhood, in our lives, that we can do that, that we can be part of setting things in motion for your kingdom. Thank you, God, for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. Uh, For all of you Calvary at Home locations, you're going to be taking some time to discuss what we just talked about. If you're not at a Calvary at Home location, I really want to encourage you, sign up for one at calvaryirwin.com slash at home. Or if you're like, man, I've got lots of space here. I'm sitting here uh, with all these empty seats in my living room. Why don't you host a location? And you can do that at the same place, calvaryirwin.com slash at home. In just a few weeks on July 5th, we're going to start bringing our at-home locations into the building here for those that are uh, listed. And I'm super pumped for that. So uh, that's going to be kind of our first trial run. So why don't you make sure you sign up or host an at-home location uh, so that you can be part of that first wave that comes through in July. Thanks for joining us today. I hope you have a blessed day. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next Sunday as we continue our series, The Antioch Experiment. We're going to be talking about living with conviction, leading with conviction next week. So thanks for joining us. We'll see you next Sunday at 1030. Have a great day. God bless.
This is Pastor Nick Poole, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.